0: Hello, you're listening to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. This is Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. And if you're a fan of true ghost stories, stay tuned, because we have somebody who knows all there is to know about things that go bump in the night. Stay tuned. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Thorne and Cross Haunted Nights, live. We'd like to thank W.J. Paris for creating and performing that wonderful piece of music you just heard. Uh, We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, we're talking to Sylvia Schultz, an author and paranormal expert who has appeared on Ghost Hunters and Others. Now, I'm going to turn the time over to my co-host, Tamara, who's going to tell you a little bit more about tonight's guest.
1: All right. Oh, I'm doing the bio. Okay. Sylvia has been a paranormal investigator for a number of years. She began her career as a ghost hunter as a result of doing the research for her nonfiction book, Ghosts of the Illinois River. A few years ago, Schultz was inspired to write a collection of people's supernatural experiences at the Peoria State Hospital in Bartonville, Illinois. This project quickly swelled into her book, Fractured Spirits, Haunting at the Peoria State Hospital. The book and Schultz's research was featured on a on the uh, Prescription of Fear episode of Ghost Hunters, which aired in January of 2013. Her latest release, which we'll be talking about tonight, is Demon Hunting, Terrifying True Tales of Denonic Attachment. A terrifying. Okay. Sylvia lives in Illinois with her husband. She works at the Fond du Lac District Library and also serves as publicity director for Dark Continents Publishing. In addition to nonfiction, she also writes romance and horror. She's the first to admit that there's a fine line between
0: the two. All right, and before we introduce her, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Demon Hunting, her latest book. In the Dark, How Do We Know Who Is Being Hunted? For more than 150 years, seekers of the unknown have been trying to communicate with the other side, seeking out the lost souls who have died and yet still inhabit the earth. But what if some of the spirits being sought were never really human at all? What if they were hunting? What if what they were hunting was also hunting them? Linda was a seasoned paranormal investigator, founder of a well-respected ghost hunting group with a religious conviction that allowed her to hear the voices of the spirits that she was seeking to help. Unfortunately, Linda's prayers for the souls of the dead were answered, but not in the way that she could ever have imagined. Sylvia Schultz, author of Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital, presents the chilling true story of a woman who steps over the line into the darkest corners of the paranormal. Examining the history of diabolical folklore, possession, the spirit world, and fallen angels, she then reveals one woman's battle against demonic oppression, human frailty, and Linda's all-encompassing trust in her God. It's a compelling volume for anyone with an interest in the paranormal and a must-read about the dangers of the supernatural. And about what just might be waiting for us out there in the darkness. Uh, we love this and we love this guest. And so, without further ado, we're going to hurry along are. and welcome Sylvia Schultz.
1: Hi, Thank Sylvia. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> there, guys. It is such a uh, pleasure to be back on the show. <laughs> we're so glad to have you. We had you we for Halloween that special. That's, that's <laughs> going to be a tradition. We always need you at Halloween. Yes. you're the mistress <laughs> of the most <laughs> yeah I, I said I, I reposted I shared your, your post about me being on your show tonight I shared it on a uh, couple of pages and I said yeah I'm going to get my dose of T&A tonight on, on Haunted Night Live <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and baby. Somebody, somebody wrote down it said Thorn and Cross Haunted Night Live and she she wrote um, T&C I said, oh, <laughs> yeah, if you look at Thorn and Cross as T&C, but if you wrote tonight, Tamara and Alistair, that's definitely my favorite TNA. <laughs> definitely
0: TNA, Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, I'm <asked>. no. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, We've been looking oh, yeah. forward to tonight, too.
0: We so have. We, we have. have. So, yeah. Yes. We, yeah. we were having a lot of fun in the studio before the show, so, yes. It was really weird. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> Just blow off some of the steam from the day and yes. yeah, let's 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 talk demons. Let's
0: let's, let's talk all right. demons. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Let's talk about let's look. talk about yeah. demon hunting. This is a
1: fascinating
0: yeah. a fascinating story. So, you let's talk a
1: lot. You,
0: you have Thank exactly you. because it's uh it's quite handy for some of the stuff that we're actually working on right now. Yeah. For us. So Ooh. yeah, so thank oh, that you for even that. Better. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's that's go. What back I try to do beginning.
1: with my books is, is I try to I try to teach people I learn so much when I'm writing these books. So it's mm-hmm. such a joy for me to be able to share what I learn with people who read the books. It's just a real treat for me. Right.
0: Right. Well, and it's uh, yes, and you did it. You've done a great job with it. It it really has. It's 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 helping us. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the beginning, though. Um, Let's go back to, you know, the the, when was this whole concept for demon hunting conceived?
1: Well, this actually came about because of a conversation I had with a fellow ghost hunter. Um, I I had never planned to write a book about hunting demons. It just wasn't something that was in my wheelhouse at all. I was raised religious, but I wasn't raised in the Catholic faith. So the Orthodox faith, we don't really pay that much attention to demons per se. So it's just not something that really entered my consciousness a whole lot. But a few years ago, um, I had met a ghost hunter, Linda Kay, who um, shared with me some stories for Fractured Spirits. So that's how she and I got to know each other. As She had been doing investigations at the Peoria State Hospital with her ghost hunting group, and she was kind enough to share some stories with me. And uh, she we lost track of each other for about a year or so our our paths just never crossed in the investigation world or anything I wasn't, I never worked with her group at all and we just really kind of lost touch with each other Uh, until several months after we moved into the new library building where I work we we moved just a few blocks across town and into this gorgeous brand new library building and um, she I looked up. I was working the desk one day, and I looked up, and there was Linda standing there. And she said, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" And everything. We we greeted each other, and she kind of looked, you know, and she said, "Is there is there somewhere we can talk that's a little more private than this? I mean, this is the circulation desk. It's out in front of God and everybody." Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah, no no worries." And I told somebody I was leaving the desk, and we we went. To the book sale area which is very close but it's kind of and it was there that Linda told me about an experience that she had had uh-huh. in which that she she said that she had been attacked by three demonic entities and she told me this story which I relate in hunting demons and uh, she she said you know I've gone through this experience and she said, I'm not, I'm nobody special. She said, I am one child of God. If this has happened to me, it's happened to other people. And I want you to write a book about my experiences so we can share this story with people so that we can tell people they're not alone. And I'm telling you guys straight up, and I've told Linda this too, at first I did not want to do it. Yeah, I could tell she was sincere. I could tell that she believed that she had had these experiences, but I'm like, demons? No.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I want to
1: tangle with yeah. this. But I, the the more I talked to her, the more sincere she appeared to me, and the more I realized that this was a story that really needed to be told. And um, at my publisher's request, it had to be at least 55,000 words long, so I had (laughs) to add to the story, because her her story in itself, as fascinating as it was, wasn't really long enough for an entire book. So the first part of Hunting Demons is a look back at demons through history, demons in science and in music, uh, kind of a look at the differences in Attitudes towards demons in Western and Eastern culture—that's where I really learned a lot, and that's that's the joy that I have of sharing this research with. So oh, we love it. Hunting demons is really. Thank you. It's it's really a two part book. I mean, you kind of get two books for the price of one when, when yeah. you get this book. Um, so yeah, part of it is a look at demons through history and in different cultures, and then the second half of this book is. Linda's personal story which is very moving and very exciting and kind of terrifying in part so I was very moved that she entrusted me with this story I'm I'm very honored that she chose me to tell the story to so you That's ended fine. up believing this completely I, mean, I, I ended up believing it yeah. Um, yeah with all the research that I did and all the research on exorcisms that I did And all the research on discernment that I did, I talked to a lot of people and I did a lot of research and I talked to exorcists and I talked to priests and they all, the, the common thread running through all of this was the fact that you need discernment. You need to be able to listen to this person and listen to this person's story and say, all right, are they just hearing voices? Are they in need of psychiatric help? Or is this something actually spiritual that they are dealing with? And sometimes it is.
0: Did you ever come to a conclusion or did you get any uh, advice from, you know, the priest or the exorcist as to why uh, these entities would single out a particular person I mean we see like horror movies and they play with the Ouija board or something, but we're 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 also doing a lot of research in the same uh field area, and uh we're finding that 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 there's that that's not really generally how it goes. Do you have any insights into that
1: right um well <laughs> demons i think are are the least known i mean we we talk about demons a lot, but they're kind of. They're kind of the least known of the supernatural entities that, that we as investigators deal with. We don't see demons on a regular basis. So they're kind of still mysterious. And the whole idea of demonic possession in the religious sense is still such a a, a charged subject that people... Are reluctant to talk about it for very long or in very detail very much detail unless they're really really invested in discovering the answers to these questions that you're asking um, What I found out now we'll talk about this later in in the show, and this is really neat um, in Western culture we figure that oh well you have to be playing with a demon we we have to play be playing with a Ouija board to invite the demon right. into our lives we have to i mean it's something that we do that we're at fault that we invite the demonic into our lives and we we play with tarot cards we try to to do evps there's all sorts of different ways that spiritual people say that you can open yourself up to the demonic in eastern culture it's almost exactly the opposite. It's nothing you do as a human being that opens you to the demonic. It's just something that happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. no fault of your own, but you can get jumped by a demon. You can be walking along the street, just minding your own business, and get attacked by a demon. It's really nothing that you do to bring it on yourself. Yeah, yeah. So in different cultures, you have different attitude towards how demonic possession happens. And that's what I found really, really fascinating. So yeah, I mean in, in Western culture we say, oh, you know, we we um we played with the Ouija board or we or we watched too many too many scary movies. <laughs> we we right. did goat sacrifices in the middle of the cemetery in the middle of the night. You know, something that drew their attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in, in other cultures, it's not the same. In, in other cultures, it's it's not your fault. Well, yeah, and yeah, in yeah. other cultures, yeah. there there are other cultures too that we'll we'll talk about this later too. That it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, it's right. just. Yeah. The the fault thing seems to be very much a an American Puritan ethic type thing, a religion you know, do this oh, yeah. wrong Yeah, thing. an American, a European but, thing definitely, yeah. a Western but Also for, oh, yeah. those, uh, for those of us who do not follow any religion I always wonder, see the word demon to me is sort of religious in tone. I define it more, and I want to know what you think of this, as elemental things, like I write about green men a lot, which is the persona yeah. it's an elemental force. Now, would people who are not religious would that be what their demons might be as anomalies that are not human made? Or what? Well my personal feeling not having had any direct experience with the demonic, thank goodness <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> is is that it's? I think it's very possible if somebody doesn't come from a religious background and they have a demonic experience that could very well be an elemental because that's what they're used to. They're not going to approach this issue that they're having. They're not going to approach these problems that they're having from a spiritual point of view necessarily, because that's not their background. That's not where their head's at. But if yeah, they start having really, trouble... Yeah, if they start what, having trouble... What's that? It could be spiritual without being religious. But yeah, the that's that's a very yeah. good way to put it, yeah. and And they may not have a religious background in which to interpret this, but they could be interpreting it as an elemental or as a spiritual problem without without being religious, yeah. Yeah, I've I always thought, that if, if some woman told me a story years ago, and she she had me because it sounded very realistic, and then all of a sudden the devil's red face and horns appeared in her bedroom, and I went, uh-uh. <laughs> then I started thinking yeah. about it, and because that's her belief. That's very well what she might see, whereas I uh-huh. would probably see Wavy energy lines. I don't know. No. there you go. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> wavy or green energy. great men line. hot of I don't know. I you know. It <laughs> um, So I think maybe these things are seen the way according to your belief too, I and mean, maybe that's why it changes multiculturally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So how how do you, Eastern? How, what are the difference between Eastern and Western, basically? This is some fun stuff. Okay, so as I said, as I said, Western culture, we've got like this this guilt complex. If we do something wrong, it's it's our fault if we demon, if we attract demonic attention, if we open ourselves to this up to this demonic influence. By, you know, playing with Ouija boards, watching too many scary movies, that's what's going to happen is the demons are going to attack us and, oh my goodness, you have to go and get an exorcism right away or your soul is lost. Not not to put any religious interpretation on this, that's what the the prevailing attitude in Western yeah. culture is. Eastern culture, however, is very concerned with saving faith. Um, there's a lovely, um, <laughs> there, there, there's a lovely thing in the um, in the Honda owner's manual. Let's see if I can find this in the book. Um, no, I'm taking too much time looking for it. Um, there's mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there, it. There, there's a, a set of instructions in the 1964 Honda's owner's manual that describes. The, um, yeah, there it is. Ha, got it. Okay. So <laughs> 1962 safety rules from Honda, translated from the Japanese, so it's a little it's a little wonky. Number one, at the rise of hand by policemen, stop rapid, rapidly. Number two, when a passenger of the foot hooves in sight, toot the horn trumpet melodiously at first. If he still obstacles your passage, toodle him with vigor and express by word of mouth, warning, hi, hi. Three, beware of the wandering horse that he shall not take fright as you pass him. Do not explode the exhaust box at him. Go soothingly by. Four, give big space to the festive dog that makes sport in roadway. Avoid entanglement of dog with wheel spokes. Five, and this is is, is my personal favorite and my husband's personal favorite because we're both motorcycle riders. Okay, number five, go soothingly on the grease mud, for there lurks the skid demon. Press (laughs) the brake foot as you roll around the corners and save the collapse and tie up. And uh, in addition to just being absolutely gorgeous, um, this really says something about the Eastern attitude. It's all about saving face. If I wipe out on the mud... It's not my fault, because there was a skid demon lurking there, and I did not pay attention enough oh, to be able to avoid the skid wrong, demon. Right, right. <laughs> I'm adopting a skid demon right so, now. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. There happened to be a demon there, and, you know, these things happen.
0: Um, but
1: what about what so about yeah. the skid mark demon, though? <laughs> Well, yeah, we, we can get we can get to that later. I did have time okay. about for supper, so you know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this is another. It's another interesting thing about the Eastern mindset that oh. demons are not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I came across a lovely story about a an 11th century Buddhist monk, a, a priestess um she is the only female Buddhist teacher who has gotten who has ended up with her own practice. Um her name was Matra Globdron and she the story of her goes that she was meditating in a temple with open windows and she was meditating with her spiritual sisters and she was meditating so deeply and she got so deep into a trance state that she levitated and floated right out of the open windows of the temple. And she ended up, outside the temple, she ended up in the branches of a tree that happened to be next to a pond. Now the pond was the home of a water demon called a naga. And the oh. naga have dual natures. They, and we're talking about elementals. <laughs> this probably okay. fits right in with the elementals thing. So the naga have dual nature. They can either be very, very territorial, and if you trespass them on their territory, they'll, they'll eat you alive and spit your bones out. Or they can be convinced to be a protector of whatever pond that they inhabit, and they can be a powerful ally. So Machig Labdron floats into this tree and she, she gets lodged in the branches of the tree and the naga takes offense at this and gets all territorial and calls all the other nagas from the other ponds in the area and they're like, we're going to eat this interloper and everything. And Machig Labdron, still deep in trance, in meditative trance, offers herself for the nagas. And the demons were so impressed by this that they swore to protect her and all her followers from then until the end of time. So Mantra Labdron's practice started in the 11th century basically says this, that if you are fighting with personal demons, alcoholism, stress, anxiety, Uh, not getting along with relatives, things like that. If you have personal demons that you're struggling with, sit down, think about it, meditate if that's your thing, and get in contact with these demons and offer yourself as food. You say, what do you need from me
0: in order for you to
1: stop annoying me? And if it's a demon of anxiety... Well, the demon might say, well, you know what? It would really help me if you would not watch TV for one evening a week, if you would just sit and talk with your family one evening a week, or if you could uh, sit and read a book one evening every week and just not fill yourself with all this this stuff on TV. And it's it's just a way to, to... The the demon is kind of a shorthand for looking at your own self, at your own psyche, and figuring out what's bothering you and how you can yourself take care of this and treat it. So it's a really nifty idea of looking at yourself and saying, oh, you know what, I, I could probably take care of this myself if I wanted to.
0: Well, yeah, and and it makes perfect sense because I think that at the root of a lot of these problems is, uh, you know, a a lot of times a lack of action, you know, that needs to be addressed. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times that's exactly what it is. Something that's very
1: accessible to this is a cartoon, I think it's Japanese, called Spirited Away. Have you ever seen it? Mm, I have not. Oh, you should! I, I don't think it's Nagas, but it's about. Uh, it, it, it's that's what it is. It's a wonderful movie, and it's about the spirits that come alive. It's like the cucumber spirit and the, all the, the the nature spirit. And, oh, that's yeah, wonderful. I, we, we'll talk. Yeah, check it out and next time. We'll talk about it. It's, I think that's what you're talking about too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. cool.
0: I'm going to. I'm going to take a minute just to. Um, uh, your little thing and then when when we get back uh you are you have prepared an an excerpt from demon hunting correct?
1: I have indeed yes.
0: All right so uh for those of you who are listening uh you are listening to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, we're your host, Alistair Cross and Tamarthorn. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, Alistaircross.com and Tamarthorn.com. Or you can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handle is at thorncross. Uh, be sure to visit us on Facebook and give our 100 Nights Live page a like. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. And we are here with paranormal expert and author of Demon Hunting, Sylvia Schultz, who is going to read us an excerpt from her latest book, which is Demon Hunting.
1: Okay. This actually comes from um, part two of Hunting Demons. The subtitle of part two is Feral Trinity, A Ghost Hunter's Encounter with Evil. Summer in central Illinois is hot, sticky, muggy combination of summer heat and high humidity can be miserable luckily for people in this area the Illinois River runs right through the middle of Peoria the river is a vital part of the community and the surrounding towns Pekins Court Street actually dead ends into the river turning into a parking lot that slopes gently into the water the perfect place to launch a John boat and for those folks who don't own a boat the river itself is their playground. Linda Kay was 14 years old on that summer day years past. A cultish teenager, she weighed just 103 pounds and practically lived in her bikini that summer. One particularly beastly day, she and her friends decided to cool off with a dip in the river. Linda's mother had gone to Tennessee to see her own mother. She had given strict instructions to the teen, Linda was forbidden to go to the river with her friends while her mom was out of town. But the teen had a rebellious streak. Nothing, not words of wisdom from her well-meaning mother, not even the threat of being grounded, was going to keep her from splashing and playing in the cool water of the Illinois River that hot summer day. Linda was in her bedroom undressing when she heard the voice. Put on your black one-piece. Linda frowned and reached for her bikini. As her fingers touched the silky material, she hesitated. Then, impulsively, she pulled on the black swimsuit instead. She tossed a shirt and shorts over the suit and ran out to join her friends. The Illinois River is the heart of Peoria, not only for its beauty, but also for its usefulness. Barge traffic on the river has carved, carved a deep channel in the middle, a channel that the Army Corps of Engineers keeps open with periodic dredging. This channel gives the river a particularly swift current, and it was this current that sucked Linda under at the Cedar Street Bridge in Peoria. Linda was pushed to the bottom of the river by the force of the water rushing past her. A fish bumped her thigh, then hurried on with a flick of its tail. Linda reached out blindly, disoriented from the tumbling of the water. She grabbed for something to hold on to, but her fingers just sank into the mud at the river's bottom. The cool water embraced her as the current held her down. Exhausted from her brief struggle, Linda came close to giving up, going to go to sleep, she remembers thinking as the dark water surrounded her. Her friends weren't about to give up so easily. One boy dived under the surface repeatedly, searching for his friend. The barges that run the river also keep the muddy river bottom churned up with a constant screen of silt, so visibility in the water is usually... About an inch and a half, or the distance between your eyes and the glass of your diving mask. The boy groped blindly, desperately seeking any sign of his friend. His fingers closed around a handful of sodden fabric, and he heaved Linda out of the current and up to the surface. Clutched in his hand was a fistful of the one-piece bathing suit. He had grabbed the wide back of the suit and hauled Linda to safety. The voice that saved Linda's life that hot summer day was not an isolated occurrence. She grew up in a family that took the world of spirits as a regular part of daily life. Her mother and grandfather both saw ghosts, and both women paid attention to the clock on the wall that would inexplicably play music in advance of warning of the strange. It was just a regular old wall clock, not a cuckoo clock or anything like that, Linda says. There was nothing special about it, but it would play music before any ghostly visitation. That wasn't the only timepiece that seemed to have otherworldly talents. We had this cheap little alarm clock, something we got ages ago at Walmart or some other store, plugged into the wall. Two weeks before my husband's mother died, it started flashing, 358, 358, 358. And that was the exact time she died. When his dad died again, two weeks before his dad passed, it started flashing again, 5.17, 5.17, 5.17. When our youngest grandson was born, that cheap little clock started flashing again, 2.10, 2.10, 2.10, for about a month. We went to the hospital for the birth, and I happened to look up at a clock on the wall there. The time read 2 o'clock. I looked at Jerry and said, oh, Jerry, You don't think. So when the proud daddy came out to see us at about 2.15, Jerry's first question was, when was Truman born? And Bobby said, he was born at 2.10. Jerry went home and threw that clock away.
0: (laughs) Indeed, Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I too want to get much
1: for him. <laughs> Wow. Um, what a story. We,
0: one thing I wanted to ask you about, this is, uh, uh, that was from the book Demon Hunting by Sylvia Schultz, which is a fascinating read. Absolutely loved it. Um, one thing uh, I, I wanted to ask you about before we get too far away from uh, religion and demons is, in your research, did you find that all religions have demons in them?
1: Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that. I so, I was doing research for this book, and I was, you know, doing a lot of research and doing a lot of thinking about things. And I thought, all right, you know, the Catholic Church just has cornered the market on exorcism, <laughs> and, yeah. and you, you, you hear some. I, like I said, I was raised Orthodox, so we didn't really do a lot with exorcisms, but we we knew about demons, and we we knew that Satan was the opposite of Christ, and and all all that sort of thing. That was in our you know canon. And um, I mean, you, you don't the the Methodists and the Lutherans, uh, not so much as the Catholics are into or exorcisms. And I thought to myself, this is one of these things when you're thinking about and you're trying to fall asleep. I thought to myself, (laughs) you know, you never hear about an Amish exorcism. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you don't. (laughs) So the next time I sat down at my computer, just, you know, on a whim, I typed in, I went to Google, and I typed in Amish demons and Boy, was I surprised at what I found. <laughs> they <Apparently>, <laughs> oh, they have those beautiful uh D mistle think birds, yeah. I yeah they they have all. the head signs and everything. <laughs> yeah, head oh bird. wow. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So what I had I had no idea about this and it was just fascinating to me to find this out. The the, the Amish are very Invested in demons and the de- demonic, wow. I had no idea. Um, they have a lot of stories about demons. Um, the, <laughs> so, in my research, and some people might not call this research, but you know, it's my book, so so happy <laughs> to <do. laughs> I can do what I want. Uh, I came across this uh, TV. Channel called Destination America, which is, it's kind of this this uh, life beater T-shirt wearing poor cousin <laughs> of the Discovery Channel. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got this show called Amish Haunting, and about <laughs> half of the stories in this show are about demons. It's amazing. Wow. The first the first ever episode of this show talked about this this young amish girl who had an english neighbor as a, you know the, the amish call everybody else who's not amish english yeah. so she had this this, this neighbor who was very fond of this young amish girl the youngest daughter in the family and i think there were four kids in the family but this this neighbor who was not amish just doted on this little amish girl and she decided to give uh, there was a birthday coming up so she decided to give this little kid a doll for her birthday. And the thing about Amish dolls, the Amish have dolls but they're made they're cloth dolls and they don't have any faces. Yeah. That goes against the well, yeah, I know, creepy, right? Yeah. But it goes against the religious injunction not to create a graven image. So oh. all these all these handmade Amish dolls, they just don't have any faces. It's just a a blank circle for the face. So she gives her this really elaborate doll. And the, the girl was just enchanted with it. This little girl, Sarah, is just enchanted with this doll. And she opens it at the neighbor's house. And she's like, oh, wow, this is wonderful. This is great. And her mother was there with her. And her mother takes one look at this doll. And she's like, ah, no, no, no. This is, this is not something that's coming into our house. So Sarah grabs the doll. And runs back next door into her own house, and before her father can stop her, she has run into this ha- uh, into their house with this doll. And her father just loses his mind. He's like, "Oh my gosh, you've invited Satan into our house because you brought this doll in." And he grabs the doll from Sarah and he tosses it tosses it into the fireplace and burns it up. And it, this is this is the only thing worse than a doll is a doll that's on fire. Just weirds me out, like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> but, but even though this doll had been burnt to a crisp, the damage was done. Satan had been invited into their house, and you know there there was no going back from that, so they had the birthday uh-huh. party the next day, and before Sarah could blow out the candles, something else blew the candles out for her. Wow, yeah. story. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and over the next few weeks, uh, her, her brother Jeremiah especially noticed this. He, he noticed that Sarah just was withdrawing into herself, becoming very quiet and uncommunicative, and just glaring at her family with, with what he thought was hatred. And things really kind of came to a head when the bishop of their community came to visit the, house, the, the family at home in the evening, and he said, well, Sarah's teacher told me something rather disturbing. Sarah and her little classmates were writing in their copy books and they were, you know, had stuff on the board that they had to copy to practice their penmanship. And instead of a sentence on the board, little Sarah was writing burn in hell, burn in hell, burn in hell in her (laughs) notebook. So Sarah was removed from the house and taken to a Bible camp to sort of reboot her faith or you know whatever it is the Amish do to to reinstill the faith in in their kids and their their community, so while Sarah was gone, this demonic attack continued. Uh, the father uh Mr. Lapp, came home one day and found you know entered the house there was nobody around, but there was blood all over the house, just splattered all over the house and. Right. He, He's like, oh, my God, what happened? So he finally finds his family. They're all safe. They're huddled together, and they're like, Jeremiah, the son, is there's something really, really, really wrong with him. So Mr. Lab uh, goes out to the barn, and he sees Jeremiah there, and Jeremiah has slaughtered one of the family's pigs, and it was pig blood that was splattered all over the house, uh, and Jeremiah had cut the pig's face off and was wearing it like a mask you that's not oh my god (laughs) there's something seriously wrong here (laughs) so mr lapp went and got the bishop and the bishop came over and started doing an amish exorcism which seems to consist mostly of yelling at the demon to leave and apparently it worked (laughs) the the demon was convinced to leave and went away and didn't bother the family again but i just it goes to show, I mean, there are all these stories in Amish lore that involve demons. And right. we can look at this and we can say, oh, ha-ha, look at, look at these backwards people. They, they figure that, that anything is demonic. But what it really is, is that the Amish and the Mennonite faith is is really rather rigid. And any deviation from that is seen as inviting to demons, like we were talking about earlier. Right. And I feel really bad because this is a culture that is very into um things like, you know, the hex signs. They've uh-huh. they've got the the hex signs on the barn and they do a lot with yeah. w- with um herbal medicine and things like that. Yeah. And it's all it's all considered to be demonic. In their religion, their culture calls the their, their their culture calls to them to do this herbal medicine and to paint these hex signs on their barn, but their religion says no, that's demonic. Oh. and it really creates kind of a a, a disconnect there. Yeah. Um, about 50% of the population in Lancaster and Chester counties are Pennsylvania Dutch, and 10% of those folks are Old Order Amish, Amish and conservative Mennonites. So those folks are the ones that are suffering from this disconnect. So Trump. yeah. <laughs> how how do they handle it? That's uh, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. I mean, they either say, you know, I'm I'm gonna paint the sex sign on my barn because I think it's pretty, and they just take the consequences, they take the the disapproval of the rest of the congregation, or they just don't do it. How weird. I, yeah. I first saw the hex sign. I have some. They're beautiful. never even yeah. thought about them beyond hex sign. Those are cute. And I bought them <laughs> up in a shop where, etern- where moonfall takes place.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, those
1: are nice. They're very pretty. I never would have associated them with actual demonic activity. <laughs> right, right. And hardly well, anybody does. It's not something you think well, about. Yeah. But, but for these Pennsylvania Dutch, by by culture, that also happen to be Old Order or Amish, by religion, it creates this real cognitive dissonance. Wow. So, and i got to ask yeah. you, are the um, medicine, even herbal medicine, is actually demonic? Yeah. Afraid so. They're not supposed because <laughs> herbal <they get anything laughs> medicine brutal. is called... <laughs> I know. It's so I'm I'm so into herbal medicine, I know you guys are too because of the book. Yeah. And it just it just breaks my heart to think that, you know, something as simple as whipping up a, a, a tea for, for colds and sore throat would be considered demonic. Yeah. But in Pennsylvania Dutch culture there's um something called braucheri and hexerai and that's white magic and dark magic. And part of braucherial is herbal medicine, and it's healing oh, by use of by use of herbs and by use of um, incantations, um, things uh-huh. like uh, with a colicky baby passing them through the the legs of a table, and it, it's calling on these unseen forces all around us to either heal or harm. healing is the brow or the black magic Uh is the hexter so even though you're doing it for good even though you're doing this herbal medicine for good it's still considered satanic so very magical for instance if i take my little bottle of uh honeysuckle extract essential oil and put the dab on my wrist because that stuff stops sinus problems you just Snort it, and it, it'll make you sneeze, and your sinuses are better. That's demonic. Yeah. the flower that has these properties, but that the properties are turned on by a demon. Is that what we're getting here? I, uh, I think they're painting it with rather a broad brush. <laughs> like I said, you you put just put one foot out of line in the Amish culture, and it's it's labeled as satanic, and it's they they do tend to things with a rather broad brush.
0: Skinny. Well, what about NyQuil? Because
1: I I really like NyQuil.
0: I I like NyQuil so much that I get excited when I show his stuffy nose.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he not oh, love the alcohol. Yeah. He just likes NyQuil, not alcoholic <laughs> Yes,
0: yes, the gel caps, of course.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, we can't, we can't talk about, you know, demons and, and this kind of stuff without talking about, you know, what, and I'm sure that this varies from, from culture to culture and, and, you know, religion to religion, but w- what are some of the ways that, uh, you know, we all know about like the, the, the Catholic exorcisms and, you know, what are some of the other ways that, that you've learned that a person could go about getting rid of of a, a, a demonic haunting or whatever it's called.
1: Oh boy, this is great. Okay, so, <laughs> so we were talking earlier about about Western versus Eastern.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: is neat. Um, in the Eastern culture, especially in Middle Eastern and Egypt and in Cairo and Northern Africa and that 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 area of the world, there is a marvelous ritual called the Czar ritual and the czar demon is one of the djinn and it's it's a very specialized sort of demon. The czar attacks women mostly Uh and the way the czar is appeased is by gifts of fine clothes and perfume and Mm. rich foods and chocolate and, and fancy jewelry. So when a woman is feeling neglected by her husband, I mean, women in Muslim culture are second-class citizens. And if they were to ask for something outright, I mean, they'd, get, they'd just get slapped down or worse. They're right. not used to being able to ask for what they want. But can you use this czar demon to ask for what they want. They go to their husband and they say, you know what? My demon's acting up. I need a czar ritual. And some of these are really, really lavish. And they involve drumming and dancing and feasting. And this woman who is possessed is the center of attention. And she gets all these lovely clothes and fine perfumes and rich foods to eat and everything. And there's, there's drumming and dancing, and it it lasts an entire evening. And the czar ritual is less of an exorcism than it is a reconciliation between the demon and their human. They're not trying to exercise the demon. They're just trying to calm the demon down enough so that the human can live in harmony with this possessing demon.
0: Interesting.
1: It's really fascinating. And in the case of these Tyrene women, it's a way for them to have some carefully directed measure of very specific power.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: So (laughs) while we're talking about the, you know, um, uh, you know, exercising demons or or, or whatever, let's talk Mm -hmm. about the St. Benedict medal. Ah.
1: Yes. Okay. So why, why don't we start with Linda's story? Because the St. Benedict's medal Really uh, comes into play at the end of Linda's story. It's very, very important, but I want to set the scene first. So, as I said, Linda was a para- was a paranormal investigator that uh, of my acquaintance, and she came to me with this story. What had happened was that she and her group had been going out doing paranormal investigation for um, a good several months, eight or nine months, almost a year of doing this. And their group, Central Illinois Ghost Hunters, got very in demand very quickly. They had a lot of very strange, very active cases. Um, mm-hmm. There's In Hunting Demons, I talk about all of these cases that lead up to Linda's confrontation with these demons. So I, if you're interested in all of these stories, if you guys out there in Radio Radioland are interested in all these stories, pick up a copy of Hunting Demons. It's really some really great stories. Um, one of the stories involved a case in Pekin, in, in the town where I live. <laughs> and she oh. told me... They where this house is. I haven't gone to actually find the house, but it's it's somewhere in Beacon. Um, she and her group went there, and there was a stone circle in the basement. And she and her group went down there, and they were talking, they, they were doing an EVP session and trying to record and everything, and they they caught some very strange EVPs, some very strange voices on here. Uh, they're doing this, this thing that investigators like to do where you have a, a flashlight, and you unscrew the flashlight most of the way just to where just the barest touch will turn the flashlight on, and that's a way to ask questions of the spirits and get answers right then. You ask the spirits to turn the flashlight on for yes and then turn it off, so you reset it, or turn it off for no. So this, they get down and they set the cameras up and they set the flashlight up and they start asking questions. And Linda is very sensitive. So she kind of had the idea of what questions to ask. And she kind of got the idea that there was something involving voodoo or hoodoo down oh. there. And um, she, she started asking questions. And um, one of the one of the uh, voices that they captured on their way down to the basement was this, what sounded like an old black woman, this syrupy southern accent. And the voice said, come on down. I'm waiting on you. Oh. We just raising the <laughs> <this laughs> hands on the back of my neck. So they're down there with the flashlights, and Linda's and her team are asking questions, and they're like, were you into hoodoo or voodoo? And they get the answer, yes. And there was nope. a three-year-old child in the house, and they were really, the spirits really seemed to be focusing on this child. And they said, are you wanting this three-year-old child for something? And the flashlight said, yes. And they said, are you after her soul? And the flashlight blinked, yes, yes, yes. Really, really creepy stuff. And this, this three-year-old child had actually seen the spirits in the house, and they had been taking the form of her father and trying to get her to come down to that stone circle for whatever nefarious purposes. Um, the, the father had gotten up one morning, early one Saturday morning, and was watching cartoons down in the living room. And the three-year-old girl runs down into the into the living room. She grabs his hand. And she goes, come on, Daddy, let's go. Let's go. And he's like, um, go where? And she goes, you said, you just came into my bedroom. And you said, let's go down into the basement. I have been here the whole time. I did not come into your bedroom. Yeah, you did. You, can't, you said, come into the basement. So you have this this spirit uh-huh. taking the form of the parents. Trying to lure this kid into the basement <laughs> <It's a magnificently laughs> creepy <job>. stuff. <laughs> so yeah, read *Hunting Demons* for the whole story because I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna spoil the whole thing for you. But um, so the the upshot of all of this was that Linda and her team were very, very in demand, and they kept going out on cases every Friday and Saturday night. And doing house cleansings every Sunday. But they would get back in so late on a Saturday night that Linda would not get up for church in the morning on Sunday. And she started skipping church. And she's a staunch Christian. And she told me, she said, I wasn't feeding my soul the way I should have been. And she said, that was to my detriment. That is what really messed me up. So July of 2013... 2013, mm-hmm. 2012, July, a couple of years ago. She came back from an investigation that had run really, really late. It was about one thirty in the morning when she finally got home. She was just exhausted, and she knew she should get up and go to the church in the morning, and she just, she, she wasn't up to it. And she had been going on these cases and listening to these voices. And when you read Hunting Demons you'll see that Linda's Linda's focus was on helping these spirits, helping them cross over, getting them the help they need. And she's she went about this with the attitude of, Boy, you know, if I could just hear what the spirits are saying to me right then instead of recording them and listening to them later I could be better able to help them cross over or do whatever they need to do right then. I really wish that I could hear what these spirits are saying. So she stood in the middle of her living room in the dark of night and she prayed aloud. She said, Lord, let me hear. And immediately she heard the tingling of a small bell, like in the Catholic Mass, at the moment of transubstantiation. And she heard a voice say, let her hear. And a fraction of a second after that, she became aware of three demonic entities just railing at her and screaming in her ears. It was uh, two males and a female. And just Screaming at her and screaming in her ears, you're lost, you give your soul to Satan, you're going to hell. And she immediately, she fell to her knees, she said, Lord, Lord, that's not what I meant. Oh, please, I didn't want to hear evil. What is going on? Please, just take it away. I don't want this. But it didn't go away. These demons kept attacking her and screaming at her. They would scream her awake at 3 o'clock in the morning for months. She didn't get more than four hours of sleep a night for months. Wow. And she tried everything. She went to two exorcisms. She drove all the way from, from this area to the Quad Cities, which is a good two-hour drive. And she, she visited an exorcist in his home, and she underwent two exorcisms. And they didn't do any good because she was not possessed. There was nothing to drive out of her. They were just around her, harassing her. She just had a really bad case of attachment. Right. Oh. So these exorcisms didn't do any good, <laughs> and she was oh. just at her wits' end. And this, this lasted for for months and months. And um, at, at the risk of <laughs> at the risk of spoiler alerts, um, she finally got relief when she went to the Abbey of Saint Benedict in Peoria. Oh and during the the research that i did it, it it ends up that this is a perfectly logical place for her to go to visit the monks at the abbey of st benedict because the medal of st benedict is very unique in the in that the fact that it is the only christian medal that has an exorcism prayer carved right into it uh uh-huh.
0: st benedict oh, would, wow. yeah
1: st Saint Benedict was was very. He, he was known for being able to cast out demons. Uh, he he lived in the four hundreds. Uh, the the most famous Saint Benedict medal is was designed in eighteen eighty to celebrate the fourteen hundredth anniversary of the saint's birth. So mm-hmm. the medal of Saint Benedict has a cross on it, and the initial letters are worked into this cross, and it's. Crux sacra sitnihilux, nunquam draco sitnihidux. May the holy cross be my light. May the dragon never be my guide. And around that cross on the edge of the metal there is the, the there's the first letters of the words to another Latin prayer which is um it's uh Vade retro satana, numquam suade mihi vana, sunt mala libas, ipse venena bibas. Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil.
0: Drink the poison yourself. Oh, I heard Satana. Oh, the tana. <laughs> really? That is this really <laughs> little <laughs> little prayer. <laughs> I know, right? So and it,
1: yeah, and it's 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 worked right into the metal, so carrying the Saint Benedict's medal is a really powerful protection against the demonic. So that's how she finally got released, is is you know, interacting with these monks of Saint Benedict. And that's a fascinating story in itself. So everybody out there, read Hunting Demons, it's a cool book. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. yes. Well, we, we 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 highly it. recommend it. We do and uh yeah, we both we both totally Loved it. Um, we did. Uh, we're about out of time. So in closing, oh, easy, uh, why don't, why don't, we, I know <laughs> we always, with, whenever we have you on, it goes so fast because there's so many I things know. that we could spend so much time talking totally about. We've
1: been talking for like 20 minutes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Feels like it. It's crazy,
0: right? But uh, so, so yes, Demon Hunting, your, your latest book. It's a fantastic read. We highly recommend it. It's educational and very entertaining actually fascinating Mm -hmm. entertaining doesn't quite uh cover it uh so in closing yeah so in closing sylvia why don't you tell the listeners where they can find this book and more of your other work as well absolutely
1: you can find hunting demons on amazon The, the full title if you need it is hunting demons a true story of the dark side of the supernatural so that can be found on Amazon. There's also information about it at SylviaShults.com. S-H-U-L-T-S. And while you're there at SylviaShults.com, you can also check out my little podcast called Lights Out. You can listen to me talk with Tamara and Alistair. We have a couple episodes up. Yes. So, yeah, good times. And yeah. definitely check out the book. And, uh, yeah, it's it's well, well worth the read. There's a lot of good information about there in the book even if you're not religious. And for people who are religious, I hope there's good information as well. And at any rate it is a fascinating story. It, it is. It really next, is. But, uh-huh.
0: All right. Well thank you for being on. Of course we will have you back. We always have you back because you're awesome. <laughs> yeah <You're laughs> I have a, a real girl. treat
1: for your yeah. for your listeners when we do the Halloween show. I have a book, God's Willing and the Creek Don't Rise. I have a new book coming out at the beginning of October. One of the patients at the Peoria State Hospital,
0: a woman named Rhoda
1: Derry. So that's that's going to be a smashing book.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice.
1: I am so incredibly excited about this book, and I cannot wait to share it with everybody. And that's coming out at the beginning of October. So we'll be chatting about it on the Halloween show. Yes, we will.
0: And as soon as as soon yeah. as soon it's out, you let us know, and we'll have you back, because, of course, we would love to read it and have you back. Um, Brilliant.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, yeah.
0: yes. Thank you for being on. And yeah. uh, to the listeners, thank you for listening. And um, we will be back soon. Uh, <laughs> so until next time, we wish very you. Very soon. Yes, <laughs> I know, very soon. Yeah, I was getting ready to say <laughs> next week, and then it's like, oh, ah, yeah. whatever, I'm all confused. But anyway. The point is, we wish you haunted nights.
1: And sweet screams.
0: Thank you everybody for listening and thank you, Sylvia, for being a guest. And
1: thank you for having me on and thank you for the Good <laughs> <laughs> night,
0: everybody. Good night. <laughs> Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.